I'm Sinead O'Moore and you are listening to Every Mum the Podcast, supported by Water Wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland, made with simply two ingredients and nothing else. From fertility to birth, careers, relationships and to taking care of ourselves, here we talk about the real experiences of parenthood. The love, the loss, the unexpected and the moments that we don't talk enough about. This season is supported by one of the most essential products for every mum. From that first nappy change to those messy winning months. Water Wipes winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2022, including Best Baby Wipes, are ideal for delicate newborn skin. Together, we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. At nine months pregnant, this week's guest Ruth Carroll was preparing to welcome her first baby into the world, a time in our lives that is truly transformative in so many ways. But Ruth had no idea what was to come. And here in this episode, she takes us through one of the most remarkable stories we have ever been told on this podcast. One day, Ruth noticed the pupil in her eye become very dilated. She took herself to an optician, assuming this was just something minor, It wasn't. And from that moment on, her world changed. Over the next 72 hours, Ruth learned she had a brain tumour. Her baby was delivered by section. She became a mother. And then less than 24 hours after he was born, she had a stroke. But she fought and she fought and she fought her way back to her baby boy. She proved the experts wrong by getting home to him, by learning to walk again, by growing stronger every single day. And five years on, mothering one-handed, Ruth explains how she had a choice and she chose to do everything in her power to be as strong as she possibly could for her baby. She is a remarkable woman and this is a remarkable story. Ruth, thank you so much for joining us on Every Mum the Podcast. You um, actually are a guest that we had on in season, oh, I don't know, three or four, Nessa, who supported mm-hmm. so many mums with her story of cow's yeah. milk protein allergy um, and even just her, her incredible birth story of having her huge fall and surgery. That's and, right, yeah. And mm-hmm. everything that came with it um, and her incredible recovery. She was always on to me then. You have to talk to Ruth. You have to talk to Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> And she's right, because only then when I started to kind of look into your story, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm in awe as to what you had to go through in those moments of matrescence, as we call it, when we're going from woman to mother. Your story mm-hmm. is insane and no yes. doubt painful to talk about. Yeah. But you've come so far in five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, thankfully. Take us right back to, was the beginning of pregnancy normal? Yeah. If we can call any pregnancy exactly. normal. I had a great pregnancy. Everything was perfect, thankfully. Um, and I really enjoyed being pregnant. I was looking forward to getting pregnant for years. So I really enjoyed it. The nine months were perfect. Everything went smooth until... 
the pupil in my right eye one day when I was nine months pregnant got very dilated. It looked quite strange. So I just popped into Specsavers one day I was passing by and I popped in and said, look, my eye is a bit strange. I, I was like, maybe this is a pregnancy thing that I'm unaware of. But um, so she basically looked in my eye and said, get into A&E straight away. I see some sort of shadow behind your right eye. I don't know what it is. But uh, so that was scary in itself, of course. So into hospital I went and they did an MRI scan and they diagnosed me with a brain tumor. So that in itself was obviously quite scary. The first thing I said is, what about the baby? What are we going to do? So a C-section was organized for, I think it was three days after the diagnosis. Um, I was 38 weeks pregnant. So mm, thankfully I was, I was well along. But um, so yeah, did scary. They, did you have any feelings or weakness or headaches or was there anything outside of just you seeing that pupil was there any mm. indication nothing and actually the tumor was in my head for 20 years supposedly <sighs> and I never ever knew I never suffered from migraines I never had any symptoms it was living away up in my brain there for so long so the c-section occurred baby was yeah. born on the 31st of March so my little boy was born Bobby so he was perfect, thankfully, because we were worried, we being my husband and I, obviously, that is this brain tumor going to affect him in any way? But thanks, thankfully not. He's gorgeous and perfect. So he was born on the 31st of March and they did take it. He was born firstly in St. James's Hospital, which isn't a maternity hospital. I think he was, a, it used to be a maternity hospital years ago so I was like a celebrity going around the hospital oh you're the girl who's having a baby in James as well this fierce excitement but um so that in itself was quite unique they brought him back to the coomb um as soon as he was born um where he was initially planned to be born because they needed to take me away to monitor the brain tumor so we were separated straight away and um it was the very next day then I went to the coom. I was begging them to let me go over to the coom where they were really monitoring me. So initially they were saying, no, you have to stay in James's. So that was tough. I mean, I only got to see him for about 10 seconds, you know, so I was obviously bursting to see him and to look at him and, you know, hold him. But um, so I went over to the coom, thankfully, the day after they brought me over by ambulance. And I got to see him and I got to hold him and smooch him and, you know, all the things that every new mom does. So that was really special. And my parents and my two sisters were with me and my husband. So we all had a lovely time, you know, seeing him and loving him. Um, but unfortunately, it was they, they took him away then. To, they wanted me to relax. And that's when I basically started slurring my speech. And the midwife, thankfully, straight away, she just said, Ruth, lift your arms. Mm. I thought she was losing her mind. I was like, why? Why do you want me to lift my arms? I wasn't aware of what was going on. Basically, I had suffered a stroke. The, the brain tumor grew very quickly because of the pregnancy hormones that were in my body. It basically increases the blood flow throughout the body. And that grew the tumor. And the growth of the tumor impacted the blood supply to my brain 
So a stroke hit straight away. So I was instantly paralyzed on the left side, right down. My face did droop a bit, not hugely, but you know, I was um, drooling from the left hand side and yeah, it was pretty scary. It was scary for my midwife, really. I was unaware of what was happening. I, I could hear my, that my speech was slurry, but I was, you know, clueless as to what was going on. So until... you walked into Specsavers. Mm-hmm. And within days, mm-hmm. your baby is born by section. You're mm-hmm. separated. You're in separate hospitals. You've been told you have a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And now you've suffered a stroke. Yeah. Yeah, it was intense to say the least. And probably not even days. Are we talking like 48 hours? Like it Yeah, it was 24 hours later after he was born, and it was three days after the brain tumor diagnosis that the C-section happened. So it was happening really quickly. We were living in dreamland. I don't think we we didn't even have time to stop and realize the severity of what was happening. It was just go along minute by minute and just try to survive it was yeah it was awful really so your midwife identified you were suffering a stroke what happened next thankfully she did I only went to see her last week in the coom she I popped in a few times and she's a lovely woman and she told me that you know she ran out of the room and she fell on the ground and she was bawling crying she was like I knew what was ahead of you you know so it really impacted her understandably and my whole family came back and these two medics burst through the door and I was just surrounded and thankfully they got me into an ambulance within minutes and got me back to St. James's to the neurology team there and then they got me straight over to Beaumont um, and that's where things got crazy I was straight into ICU there for six weeks so uh, things were very touch and go but how aware were you of what was happening? I thought I was very aware. Like I used to say, oh, I remember everything. But even as time goes on, that people say certain things and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't aware of as much as I thought I was. But um, it was it was crazy because I was suffering many multiple mini strokes during the weeks in ICU and I had a very bad seizure I lost my speech completely after that and it was just it was chaotic on top of this there's the tumor yeah and and the road ahead in terms of is this cancer and where do we go with that to be honest the tumor was the easy part I had to have a craniotomy in Beaumont so they opened up the skull and took the tumour out and thankfully he was able to remove it bar a few crumbs there is a few crumbs is what my neurosurgeon calls them left in the brain that he wasn't able to extract so I need to be monitored every six weeks with an MRI scan because of those crumbs to make sure they don't grow but um but the brain surgery was successful thankfully so yeah scary and painful but I survived was your son allowed home yeah, my son was at home with my poor husband. I mean, it was it's it was the hardest on him. He was trying to juggle his job, a newborn baby, and coming in and in and out to me multiple times a day. But also, so, no doubt, afraid of losing you. Like, oh, this, absolutely. These yeah. are not these are these are not yeah, easy yeah. words for him to hear. 
oh, it's awful. He only told me a couple of weeks ago that he, to him, I was going to go into a nursing home mm. and that's where I was going to be for the rest of my life, which was heartbreaking to hear him say that. I don't know how he he did it, to be honest. In a way, it was e- much easier for me. I was out of it in a hospital bed being taken care of. Mm. He was the one who had to walk out of the coom on his own with the baby and not knowing if I was dead or alive. So it was awful for him. Really tough. He's a real lad. He doesn't talk much about it. He's, oh, look, it was grand. <laughs> but yeah, he survived. We all survived it, thankfully. We talk on this podcast a lot about, I suppose, the transition of woman into motherhood and how transformative it really is. And it changes us in ways. Mm-hmm. You changed. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there, I, I don't actually have any words to, to try and describe the level of emotional, mental, physical change you occurred in those hours after yeah. you entered into motherhood. Um, when you began to, I suppose, come through in Beaumont, when, mm-hmm. when you started to recognize how, how did you cope with the con- the 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 self-concern what's happening to me how am I and how do I get home to my baby yeah it sounds awful but I and it's a brain it's it was my brain protecting me I couldn't think and I didn't think about Bobby I I didn't think about anything outside outside of the four walls of my hospital bedroom I couldn't, you know, and they were bringing my son into me very regularly, pretty much every day. And I got to hold him for a while. But like looking back now, I'm like, geez, Ruth, surely, you know, I think I didn't know who was minding him, you know, where he was sleeping. Was he being bottle fed? Who's doing all that? I thought of nothing like that. I just couldn't. My world was my MRI scans, my CAT scans, the neurosurgeon the consultant the nurses the women coming in with dinner that's that was my world and my brain wouldn't allow me to think outside of that because I probably would have just broke Mm. if I if I thought about it I I loved snuggling him and I thought he was so cute but you know I didn't really get the chance I didn't know him I suppose Mm. you know but I mean, he was only a newborn at that stage. All the nurses were robbing him off me. I was like, let me hold him. But he's so cute. <laughs> but um, yeah, I kind of, becoming a mom was lost. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I never had, I never was able to experience, oh my God, I'm now a mother. This is my beautiful baby. It was just stroke, brain tumor, brain surgery. It was everything else. So I kind of missed that transition, as you said, from moment to becoming a mother. But uh, it, it was just delayed, you know. I missed the first seven months of Bobby's life, which is heartbreaking, really. At the time, as I said, I wasn't aware that I was missing that. It's when I came home and I realized that I couldn't change him. I couldn't dress him. I couldn't feed him. I couldn't walk into the kitchen to make a bottle. I could do nothing. You know, that's when it hit me. Oh, my God. You know, this is crazy. So sad. It was was awful. I felt it was so unfair. And it was hard because we had to have a nanny, a live-in nanny, who did all of that 
for me and Dave. But um, it was hard stepping back and watching this other woman do all of the jobs that I was supposed to be doing. That was very difficult. And as he got a bit older into like seven or eight months, if he was upset, he put his arms up for the nanny to look for comfort. I mean, it was hard to sit back and watch that. I was like a a spectator, Mm. you know. Mm. So that was that was very difficult. What kind of physical therapy is going on in order at that point, you know, so that you can start? Oh, really? Strengthening. Yeah, really intense physiotherapy every week with a neurophysiotherapist, hydrotherapy every week. You know, I was given a home physio program to do at home. So Dave was helping me a lot with that. Um, so it was full on, you know, when I really, really pushed myself. I went over to a clinic in Manchester who a really intense clinic over there for two weeks to three hours a day, just full on painful therapy. Um, but I'm so expensive, but we made the decision to invest in my future, invest in Bobby's future and just do everything that we can do to get me walking, to get me, to get me independent, Mm. you know, which thankfully I am now, but it took a long time. You know, it took what kind of impact did that have on you mentally when you feel so limited you, you feel like I, I I can't have the autonomy I want I can't yeah have you know control over my day yeah it should have broken me really and every neuropsychologist was brought into me they were convinced you know they said I should be suffering from postnatal depression but thankfully I didn't I just, I don't know what it, what it is about me. I just, I just went along day by day and I, I don't know, I just, I got through it. Well, Dave, I'm very lucky with, with Dave, my husband, he is, he is strong. So I had to be strong. I think I learned from him, you know, he wouldn't let me know. I had moments of breaking down, crying on the couch in there, you know, hysterical that why did this happen to me? You know, but Dave would come in and say, okay, that's enough now. You've had your cry. Get up. Let's go. He was just, he was strong. And it was so tough on him as well. Do you know, he married an independent woman and he ended up having to, I know, I couldn't use the toilet. He had to help me do that. You know, I could do nothing. I couldn't dress. You know, I still, five years on, I can't tie my shoelaces. I can't tie my bra. So it's, you know, I would have been, I wouldn't have been able to do it without him. So it really, it tested our marriage. We were only married, <clears throat> excuse me, we weren't even married a year, you know, so it was very new, you know, in itself. But, but thankfully we survived it. We are surviving it still. Um, so I'm very lucky with that support. The things that you imagine. You know, mm. at 38 weeks pregnant, you imagine so much. I mean, yes, there's so much unknown to come around the corner. Mm-hmm. But somewhere in your mind, things have been planted. You know, like you mm-hmm. you imagine that first hold in the hospital. You imagine walking out, holding the car seat, mm-hmm. you know, pushing the buggy. Those things, yeah. those things couldn't happen. No, they were all taken. Yeah, it was awful. 
a big thing for me was breastfeeding. You know, I had done my breastfeeding courses and I was already, I was passionate about being able to breastfeed my child. Now, when he was born, I'd say I got five seconds on one boob to breastfeed. So I did experience it for those few seconds, which was great. But, um, but that was it. And when I was in ICU, you know, my milk started to come through. But um, because of the medication that I was on, I wasn't able to, to breastfeed. Now, I was able to pump, which was something. But uh, that really upset me at the time. You know, <clears throat> I used to just say, come on, take me off those meds and let me do it. Let me experience it. But um, no, that wasn't. That was, that was hard. A lot of people said, don't worry, it's fine. Babies are fine. You are bottle fed. And I know that, but like you said there, I had dreamed about it. We had, I had bought my couch <clears throat> for the specific reason of holding my baby so that I could breastfeed, which sounds a bit mad, but we bought the couch when I was pregnant. Little things like that. You do visualize, you know, what you, what you do with your newborn baby. At what point then did you feel things were improving, you know, that, that you were getting yeah, that little I'd bit stronger, say, a little bit steadier? I'd say it took three years, you know, is I, I think after three years, I slowly began to see progress. A really good thing that my husband did was take video footage of me. So that I could see, I was often looking back going, oh my God, I was so bad there. I forgot that I couldn't take more than three steps. You know, it, it was after, let's say, three years that I started going, wow, I can now walk up to the end of the road. Uh, there was no way I could have ever done that. So I slowly started seeing progress, which was great. And it's still going on five years later, but a lot of medical people have told me you will be recovering for the rest of your life which I hate hearing. To me, I'm like, no, <clears throat> I'll, I'll recover in 10, 15 years or however long it'll take, which may be wishful thinking, but. Yeah, but I think you've a certain determination in you, as you mm -hmm. said, like you've, you've invested in that painful therapy. I'm not talking yeah. financial investment. I'm talking like mm -hmm. grit investment. You've decided you know, you're incredibly mentally strong to have been able to yeah. to navigate through that. And if that is what fuels you, then hold on to that belief. Yeah, I didn't realize how mentally strong I was. I think a lot of people, though, if you go through trauma or some awful experience in your life, I'd say most people are a lot stronger than they realize. Mm -hmm. Once I started getting physically stronger, like when I was able to hug him, for example. And, you know, I think when he started seeing me being able to walk from the sitting room into the kitchen, it was a very slow process of us bonding, you know, because I, you know, even still today, I can't pick him up, you know, which is tough, but he has adapted really well. He's kind of gone through stages, you know, my left arm and hand are still paralyzed. And when he was younger, he used to get really frustrated with my arm. Like mm. he'd bite it and he'd punch it and he'd smack it. You know, he went through that for a long time. But then as he got a bit bigger, he started being really loving towards it. He'd rub it and he'd give it kisses. Like, are you okay, mommy? So he kind of, the poor fella was 
you know, trying to figure it out, understand it himself. Mm. And as he got older again, then, you know, and he started seeing other mommies do things. For example, now I'll never forget trying to zip up his coat with one hand. It was really difficult and he just got pissed off at me. Mm. He's like, every other mommy can do it. Come on, just zip up my coat. Mm. And, you know, I was like, sorry, I can't. You know, so it's really hard on him. How do you process that though when you hear things like that? That must oh you, know, just, you want to do it, you know? Oh yeah. Even just today, this morning, bringing him to school, five years on, the handlebars and his scooter were up too high. And he was like, you know, push them down for me. Mm. But with one hand trying to hold in the button and push it down is really difficult. I don't know, impossible really. I find it hard with two hands. Yeah, exactly. It's really tricky. <laughs> It is. Yeah. So he was annoyed at me and he kind of had a bit of a tantrum going into the school. You know, so even this morning I came away going, you know, it's it's sad. You know, it's sad on him and it's sad on me, you know, but um, you just have to keep going. And that's, you know, uh, we all remember, like, I think when you come home with a child, it's one of the first times you start having to do a lot of things one handed you know yeah. you're mm-hmm. you have to learn how to you know you're, you're you might be out eating and you're like oh just give me something that I can eat one-handed or yeah. you're you're standing at uh, you know in the kitchen and you're doing everything one-handed mm-hmm. and you start to kind of go god that's I can't butter toast actually that's one of you, yeah. you all these little things that you realize mm-hmm. that you do without thinking and then all of a sudden when there is any kind of physical limitation you recognize yeah. all of the things that were so simple that you took for granted mm-hmm. that require two arms. Yeah. Oh, big you're, time. You're literally mothering one handed. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy, but you do learn ways to get around it. You mentioned buttering toast there. You know, I'll put my paralyzed left hand on the toast mm. to stabilize it, and then I'll use the good hand to butter. You know, that's just a small example, but you do come up with little ways. But I wouldn't be able to do it at all if I didn't have the support here at home. You know, I've often thought about other people who might not be lucky enough to have a husband at home who can help. I don't know how anyone would be able to do it on their own. To deal with it mentally, emotionally, and then the physical side of it. So I am lucky in that regard. And we have a great family my family are great my husband's family are great so we're we're surrounded we're drowned drowning in love and support so it's good it's amazing what kind of impact does that have like is it the simple daily tasks or is it just knowing just knowing that there's there is all of that support when you need it yeah it's knowing like it's really reassuring you know one of my biggest struggles is managing neurofatigue neurofatigue is lethal after any brain injury but um like for example my family just get it when I'm down in Cork you know they'll be like no you're talking for too long now get up to the bedroom and sleep for 40 minutes you know it's and that's really reassuring because I'd be in other situations people who just aren't educated on it and I'm almost expected to be upbeat and to talk for Ireland and be in a very noisy environment 
And a lot of people kind of think, oh, Ruth's great. She looks, she looks well, she's happy, she's full of energy. You know, I suppose I kind of hide it in a way, but it's lethal is the way I would describe it. It's debilitating. But I'm as time goes on, I'm learning to manage it much better. I just have to be clever with my day, you know. But I, with time, everything gets easier with time. Even though I hate it when people said that to me in hospital. I used to say, when am I going to be able to walk? When am I going to be able to move my arm? And everyone said, in time, you have to be patient. And I'd be like, how much time? Like, I just wanted to know. I still do. I'm like, when are these fingers going to move? But you just have to wait it out, which is annoying. <laughs> How does it feel with every little win? Good, very good. And I do have a lot of little wins. Let me try and think of one for you now. They're so simple. I was in hydrotherapy the other week and I stepped up on a step without holding on. And I said it to my physio, I was like, yes, I have not been able to do that ever. I've had to hold on to the railing to step up, you know, so it's little. And I just came out of there buzzing. So it's those little wins are huge. This podcast is just one way that every mum can support you. Another amazing way is with our free gift bag, packed full of essentials for you and baby, including free samples of water wipes, the number one wipe against nappy rash. To receive yours, just register now on everymum.ie. There's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. Has it in any way given you any kind of new positive life change? Yeah, it absolutely has. Like I love not working. When, you know, when I was told the doctors were like, Ruth, you know, we've some sad news now. You will not be able to work for, for the next 10 years of your life. You know, between cognitive difficulties and physical difficulties, it's not an option for you. And I presume some people go, oh my God, that's heartbreaking. But I'm like, thank God I was in a very stressful job and I worked hours on end. And I was very worried when I was pregnant about what I was going to do. I didn't even know, would I go back to work? I was just going to play it by year. But um, so, yeah, I love not working. And I often have moments throughout the day if I have. Now I keep myself crazy busy between therapies and going to the gym and all of that. But I often have moments during the day if I have a cup of tea and I'm just sitting down where I go, oh, I could be stressed off my head now in the office right now. This is lovely. There was many a time when I was working that I thought if I could be at home now, you know, and just away from the office and having a cup of tea at the table, you know, so I love that. And the other thing is gratitude. Life was so busy before a brain injury. You know, you didn't have time to stop and think, you know, oh, I'm so lucky that I have my family, that I have my friends and all the different things in life. But I am so grateful now for everything. And I have the awareness of it and I, I have the time to stop and appreciate little things like going for a walk, you know, before brain injury, you would just walk, 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 head down, probably earphones in thinking about what work I have to do, what's coming up next. But now I will actually look around and go, oh, nature is beautiful. And I listen to the birds and 
just those little moments, I know now how to stop and appreciate life, you know, and enjoy it more, which is great. And, you know, I'm now getting so much time with Bobby that I wouldn't have got if the stroke didn't happen. Mm. So there are little positives of having a stroke that you need to kind of find and focus on. But um, I love the fact that I get to bring him to school. I get to collect him. You know, I get to have quality time with him in the afternoons and, you know, be with him for dinner, for example. If this hadn't happened, I know that I'd be rushing home. You know, I'd get an hour with him, let's say, over dinner and he'd be going to bed. You know, so I'm, I love having this quality mommy time. It's completely changed your life, but was the old life full of unnecessary stress yeah it was looking back now I'm like God, Ruth, come on that was no way to live mm. and I see it with other people now and I'd love to, you know I often say just trust me you're only a number in any job just try to slow it down and appreciate life and enjoy what you have mm. Mm. just so hard to do when I think everybody is on the treadmill of responsibilities yeah. and obligations and mm. what if I fail and what if you know it means that we can't pay that bill this month and mm-hmm. what what but also I think we we associate busyness with I'm valued you know that's true and if, I, I still do it myself now but in a different way you know I've joined a great gym in Klansky and I to me, that's my full-time job. I try to go there Monday to Friday, you know, and I, I work on my physiotherapy program there and I work really hard. I take the weekends off, you know, and I still fit in my physiotherapy once a week and my hydrotherapy every Friday. You know, I don't need to be doing all this, but you know what I do, I am driven to, I was driven in work and I'm now driven to recover from this, you know, thankfully, because I have seen people who have suffered a stroke or some sort of brain injury, who have given up and who have just accepted that this is the way their life is. Can you see how easy that could happen? Oh, yeah. Like, Are you presented with a bit of a sliding doors moment of I can either go down either path here? Oh, definitely. And in the early hospital days, there was times when I just couldn't stop crying and I was feeling sorry for myself. And there was one particular nurse, she was an Indian lady called Suni. She was so nice. And she said that to me. I remember her going, you can make a decision here to continue crying in that bed and feel sorry for yourself. Or you can get up and go to your therapies, you know, keep the chin up and work hard and decide that you're going to get home to your son. It was a powerful conversation, I thought. And I do remember going, okay, I have to just keep going here. No, and having Bobby at home, knowing that there was a newborn baby who needed me was a big motivation, you know. Do you ever think what would have happened had you had the diagnosis and the stroke before even pregnancy? You know, it was growing in your brain for 20 years. Yeah, if, I, if something had happened, would you have had that same impulse and desire and drive and motivation that, you know, there is now, you know, to recover if there wasn't that little person that needed you? Yeah, I've often thought of that. And what I've often thought about as well is if the stroke had happened now, when Bobby was five, the worst thing that could have happened, you know, he's so aware it would have broken his heart. He, you know, 
wants his mommy. So in a way, the fact that it happened when he was a newborn and he obviously had no awareness of what was going on, it was a good time for it to happen if it had to happen, you know. But I do, I often think about that if I didn't, if it happened, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, there's all, I, there's a sliding door moment when I think back before I met my husband, I was dating a radiographer and he brought me into his MRI machine one day in, in the hospital that he worked in. We were just taking an MRI of my ankle because I broke my ankle a few years ago. But I remember so clearly him saying, lie back and I'll take a body scan and show you what it's like. And I remember going, oh, Jesus, I'm not going into that tunnel. No way. And I often think, what if I did do that? You know, what way would my life have gone? Mm. You know, I probably would have had the brain surgery straight away, I suppose, to get the tumor out. I probably would have been advised not to get pregnant. I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. Life could be very different if I had said yes to that moment. That's so strange. Mm. Like that, that, that offer wouldn't naturally yeah. just come up for many people in in the course of their lives do you think that there was something something in the universe working kind of going yeah. like like we're all being pushed towards these clues yeah I do I often think of that as well little things like you know the job that I had for five years before this happened you know they had they thankfully have income payment protection which means you know I get my salary every week for the rest of my life well until I'm 65 the job I had before that didn't have that and I often think did the universe got, get me to leave that job and go to this specific job because it knew it was coming you know I often think that way we're being and guided and supported and all we kind of but mm. but even at that something kicks in inside of us I mean you said no to that scan you yeah. know like Exactly. Was there stuff is happening, but yes, I don't know. Like we're we're still in control of what comes next. Yeah, exactly. It's mad when you think about it, really. But he was at home waiting for you, and I can completely appreciate how that is the thing. That is the thing that drives you forward. Yeah, I mean, for you know, for any for any parent, once a child is in their lives, that is the thing that we get out of bed for, no matter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I can't give up, you know, that would be giving up on Bobby and taking his mommy away from him and his future. So I, I don't have the option to give up, really, which is good. You know, he's the one who keeps me going all the time. Keeps the fight. Yeah. Alive. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. But, um, yeah, no, so it's an awful story. It's an awful situation, but there are there are positives from it which I try to focus on and which thankfully I've learned that I am naturally a positive person. Thankfully, I didn't know that before I had my brain injury. Do you now have empathy though, though, for those that went down that other path? Oh, I do. And I do get it. You know, I, I, it's no good me saying oh come on you have to you have to come out of this and just accept it and I've learned that I there's no point in me saying that someone will make that decision they have to choose yeah it's only the person can make that decision really what happens when we choose 
And I think that about every, like, you know, this could be decide if you have, I don't know, an addiction or if you have to, you have a mental health problem and you need, you need to take steps forward, you know, but there's no point to everybody around you saying anything. It, yeah. it has to be an internal decision. It has to be you that decides. Yeah, exactly. And that's when it'll work. Mm-hmm. It's the only way it'll work. As you say, like, that's the only way alcoholics recover if they accept it and they decide to to stop drinking have you done any sort of therapy work to help you process everything that has come before i have there's an organization called headway which basically they offer different services to anyone in ireland who have a brain injury they're great they have a neuropsychologist team in there and the rehab hospital i was in for four months referred me to them but um i remember getting the call that you know you come in next week to meet a neuropsychologist and I was like oh god Mm -hmm. the thoughts of lying down on a couch you know talking about my feelings I said no look I'm fine but my husband was like Ruth you have to get in there and I'm so glad that I did I would go in there now and just vomit out my feelings for the whole hour I would cry I would laugh and I now know that there was stuff emotions going on in me that were buried deep down so like the power of that therapist digging down and saying Ruth no you're not fine just stop there and think about what you just said and you know you'd really understand you couldn't lie anymore to yourself so I totally see the benefits of therapy now that's painful to do though because you don't want to go back and feel it and think it you want to really push it away Exactly. And I always thought, no, I'm fine talking about it. It's no problem. But it is when you really delve down into the trauma and the heartbreak of it all. But um, every session I come out feeling so much lighter. And, you know, I come out going, oh, I must I must be aware now of this, that and the other. You know, it's the best thing I ever did. I really enjoyed going. I was so skeptical and so nervous initially. but um. I get it. Do you think we all need it regardless of physical injury? Yeah. You know, I think the Americans go have therapy. (laughs) Like dentists. Exactly. And I understand why. You know, I don't think it has you have to have a trauma in your life to stop and understand your feelings and understand how you process stuff. Mm. Yeah, I think it should be done. Everybody should do it at some stage. Do you find even now, five years on, you you tap into kind of different lessons and learns from from those sessions? Yeah, I haven't done it now for about a year, but um, I still use some of the techniques that they taught me, you know, like just stopping and listening to how you speak to yourself is a big thing. I did a, a course in there called Compassion Group Therapy, where it was all about how you talk to yourself and I realized I used to speak so badly to myself, like, you know, not being able to move the fingers. I'd be like, Ruth, come on, it's five years on. You should be able to move them now. You know, instead of doing that, just saying, Ruth, you know, you've come, I've come so long or I've come so far, just keep going and you will get there. Just changing that dialogue makes a big difference. Do you apply that then to when you're struggling with the zips and struggling with the 
I try to scooters and, yeah. and say, look, you're here, you're standing at the school gate. Oh, big you, you might not be able to do the zip, but you are standing here beside him at yeah. the school gate. I often think probably daily the when my neurosurgeon called my husband and I, we had our first meeting with him since I left hospital. And I'll never forget when he said, Ruth, I predicted you'd be bed bound for the rest of your life. So I often think of that and go, oh, my God, I could still be in Beaumont in that bloody bed. Yeah. I had good feeling going, I am here walking my son into school. You know, I proved him wrong almost. And I said that to him. I said, I totally proved you wrong. You didn't know me. And he said, oh, fair enough. I put my hands up. But um, he's a lovely man. The fight of a mother who is determined. Mm, exactly. An incredible story. Mm. I am in absolute awe, firstly, <laughs> but stories like this are so important because I feel like no matter what's happening in anyone's day, sometimes they just need to have that interruption mm -hmm. and to hear someone else's situation to yeah. hear how they pulled themselves out of that bed in Beaumont to be standing at that school gate. Yeah. We, you know, we all arrive there with whatever we're, whatever busyness is in our head for that day, or even like, you know, did I, did I put enough fruit and veg into the lunchbox and stupid nonsense kind of mm -hmm. levels of perfection that we're trying to strive towards to feel good enough. Yeah. And I, and it can wear so many mums down, mm. just just feeling like I don't know how I'm going to get it all done today and mm -hmm. get it all done to a level with which I think it's good enough or that other people think it's good enough. Yeah. But, but what you and this episode and your your conversation and your story can do for everybody else is to just let them stop. Yeah. Just stop look at what's going on look at what you have look at what you can use around you exactly not not to feel like oh I have to be appreciative of of this because I didn't have a stroke you know yeah. but no just to stop and take a moment to appreciate stop and take a moment and do yeah and and are you listening to the birds when you're going for a walk mm-hmm are you tuning into what support is there or are you pushing it away because you're too afraid to say yes to it? Yeah. Are you allowing yourself to, you know, when you said, they said the neurocounseling and you're like, ah, no, no, I'm fine. Mm. Are you tuning into, no, actually, I have to do this and I have to do it. I yeah. have to do it for me and I have to do it for my kids. You mentioned there about accepting help. That was a huge thing for me. For so long, I was like, no, no, I'll I'll go up the stairs and get the phone charge or whatever I need to. And it would kill me, the effort of going all the way upstairs and coming back down. I mean, I would just be drained and it would be so awkward and so slow. But I learned just to say to Dave, Dave, run up there and get that for me, will you? I just learned to just ask him for help and just accept that I can't do it at the minute. And don't beat myself up, beat myself up over it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We all we all have those days and moments. And if you're just home, if you're listening to this and you're just home from 
a C-section or, or, or birth, or you're just, you've had no sleep for weeks and months, or if you're going through postnatal depression or whatever, whatever situation you find yourself in, mm-hmm. just, it's a real, it's a real practice that we're not familiar with asking for help. It is it's really yeah, hard. I still, I still struggle with it. Yeah. But yeah, I have to. I don't know how you got through that, but I take strength in the fact that you did. And therefore, mm. no matter what it is that I'm going to face today, tomorrow or the next day. With the right support, with the right listening to my body. Mm. With the right tuning in to whatever the universe has kind of given me some guidance towards. Mm-hmm. You know, if something is really telling you to maybe there's a secret plan underneath. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're more than just busy. And mm-hmm. it takes something like this to make to make you stop and say, what is life? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. What is motherhood? And what do we need to do to just be as strong as we possibly individually can be for tomorrow for our babies? Exactly. Mm, That's it. Summed up in a nutshell. (laughs) Thank you. No problem. Thank you. I enjoyed coming on. Thanks, Sinead. And thanks, Nessa. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Nessa. Thank you so much for listening and to Water Wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland for their support. Their wipes are made with simply two ingredients and nothing else and are plastic free, meaning you can do what's best for your baby's skin and the planet. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, rate or leave a review. Share this episode across social and get in touch with this week's guest at Ruthie underscore Carol 84 on Instagram.